0: Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today I'm joined by Ray Pika, a true standard bearer for early childhood education. I'd never met Ray, but I certainly knew of her and her work. She's been focused on this for over 40 years, so I'm thrilled she agreed to come on the podcast. Ray is dedicated to developing and educating the whole child, and she's written 20 books on the subject. She's a brilliant keynote speaker, And as a consultant, she's offered her expertise and experience to an incredibly diverse list of organizations, both public and private, including the CDC, Sesame Street, Mattel, Gymboree, Nike, Nickelodeon's Blue's Clues, and many health departments and schools. Ray and I will be discussing how children actually learn, how to encourage their intrinsic developmental processes, And some of the parenting myths that are so common these days and can stifle a child's natural instinct to explore, discover, learn, and flourish. Hi, Ray. Welcome to Unruffled, and thank you so much for being willing to share with my listeners today.
1: Oh, I'm happy to. Thank you so much. I love the title, Unruffled. That's just great. (laughs) Well, it's
0: something to strive for. I think, you know, when we do understand child development and our place in it, you know, all of that perspective can really help us. You know, we don't have to pretend we're unruffled, but the way that we see children and trust them as capable, it can help us to to actually be unruffled.
1: Yeah. Understanding child development is so important.
0: And I know that's been your life's work and that you have been such a wonderful communicator of your knowledge to the public. And so anyway, I'm thrilled to have you here. There's so many things we could talk about, but I was thinking the other day that uh, what I would like you to share is, I think something that will be very practical for parents and helpful. I, I always try to focus on what can I offer that might help. And one goal that we all have as parents is that our children thrive, that they flourish physically, cognitively, creatively, socially, emotionally, that they reach their potential in all those areas. And sometimes there are things that we don't realize are getting in the way of that. What are some of the common hinderers of this desire that
1: we have for our children? What gets in the way? Well, Janet, I think the biggest one is, and I hate to say this, all the misinformation floating around out there. There's just so much information. I mean, there's so much information, right? I mean, never in the history of parenting has there been so much information and so much of it is wrong, in my humble opinion. It just is wrong. Oh, gosh. I mean, that just sounds so negative.
0: Well, I mean, I think what you're saying is this is a blessing and a curse. Uh, I think most of us understand the blessing, hopefully, that it's helping make our lives easier, making our role clearer, helping us with our children's you know, behavior in the moment, all of that. So hopefully it's doing that unless we're just getting very confused, which is also very possible. <laughs> so what do we need to look out for? Like when we're getting
1: information, how do we know Yeah. How are you supposed to sort through it all and know what's right and what's wrong? I mean, we mentioned child development earlier. Most parents, unless they're in a field that requires it, you know, haven't studied child development. And they sure as heck don't have the the time to keep up with the research in anything pertaining to, you know, young children or early childhood education. So... Yeah, there are several pieces of misinformation. Let me just start with the the biggest that has become very prevalent in our society and uh, that is keeping children from thriving. We think that it's doing the opposite, but that, that piece of information is that earlier is better. Earlier is better is a myth. I don't know how all of this started. I do know that traditional and social media haven't helped They're very good in perpetuating myths and in fostering competition. And I'm not just talking about parents, but you know, policymakers, adults in general, have received the idea that we have to give children a jump start. You know, whether we're talking about academics or athletics, we have to get them started as soon as possible because if we don't, they'll fall behind forever and stay that way. And it's just, it's just not true. The harm is that, well, for one thing, it puts a lot of pressure on parents, pressure that doesn't have to be there. And for another, it puts a lot of pressure on the children because child development is a process and it can't be accelerated. You know how much they want to please the important adults in their lives, the little ones do. And when they can't do what we're asking them to do because they're not developmentally ready to do it. They're not supposed to be doing it yet. It puts a lot of pressure on them. They feel anxious and depressed and just plain unhappy. So let's start there, Janet, because I can just ramble on. I'm absolutely
0: in agreement with you here, nodding my head. And that's exactly what Magda used to say earlier is not better. I have a couple theories as to how this could be being perpetuated One is from when I had my first daughter, which was 28 years ago. There was this whole super baby trend, you know, at that time, and it was so much pressure and it just always seems so arbitrary to me, stimulate them this way at this age. And then by this many months, you know, you've got to do these games to your baby and do this to make sure they're getting that. And, you know, the whole responsibility was on us, you know, that we were going to miss windows or we were going to... Yes, the windows. (laughs) Those horrible (laughs) windows that it was up to us to, you know, make sure those windows were getting filled <laughs> with something.
1: Well, um, if, if you could name another group of people easier to scare than parents, I mean, of course they were frightened by that. I mean, yeah. they, they want the best for their children. And, If they didn't get on board with all of this, and part of it, I remember, and I don't know what year it was, when uh, Rob Reiner came out with the This Is Your Child, I think the program was called. You know, he was very excited. It was very well-intentioned. And I really don't know a lot about it, except that it was based on the new research about the first three years of life. You know, How many brain cells and neurons and all of that, all of that that's happening in the first three years. Well, then, you know, then the marketers jump in and they aren't necessarily well-intentioned except to line their pockets. But, sure. you know, they jump in with, well, you need these flashcards and you need infant lapware, and, you know, you need all these doodads. And so parents, you know, wanted to be good parents and they rushed out and, and bought them. But, you know, it was based on the idea that enrichment matters in the first three years, but nobody told them that enrichment is really as simple as paying loving attention to your child.
0: Right. And trusting them to play and see what they're interested in, taking a step back and observing who they are. Yeah. So I think the other part is just this sort of general idea that I know I had before I started working with Magda Gerber and learning from her, that children respond because we do something to them first, that, that we have to teach them everything that they are going to learn. And both of those ideas, the super baby and this other kind of more general idea that if we don't pull a child's hand up and get them on their feet, they will not walk. Yes. Um, Magda countered as, no, children are actually born self-learners, that there's a wisdom in all children that should be trusted in terms of their timetable, what they're working on, who they uniquely are and that there is something there they're not just blank waiting to be filled in by us exactly
1: um, exactly they're born with a love of learning i mean they they're all about learning and asking questions exploring and discovering and and they need the time and the space to do that i hear so many stories about you know, children who were really excited about learning. And so they were excited about going to preschool or kindergarten. And, you know, days in, they're miserable and and they're burnt out in kindergarten because learning, you know, this is where the policymaker piece comes in. The the curriculum has been pushed down to accommodate this education race. And it's just preposterous. And, you know, again, child development cannot be accelerated. So, you know, why has kindergarten become the new first grade? You know, a University of Virginia study showed the differences between kindergarten then and kindergarten now, and, oh, it's just horrifying. You talk about your empty vessels, you know, we're trying to pour information into their little blank heads, forcing them to sit and do worksheets, and it's just... And there's no joy, there's no joy in
0: it for the adults either, because again, as you we were saying, the whole onus is on us to do everything. so of course we're well, let's get it done sooner because then we'll be you know done with that and on to the next thing, and we're doing a better job that way if we get yeah, them all doing it's
1: this a early. terrible amount of pressure. Parenting, I think, has become harder because of all this misinformation, you know, I remember the young mom who approached me after a a keynote speech and, and said, and this was a few years ago, she said, is it okay if I don't sometimes, you know, if I don't always play with my child? And I honestly, Janet, did not know what the heck she was saying. I couldn't quite wrap my mind around it. And then it dawned on me. She thought she had to play with her child all the time in order to be a good mom, You know, I have to keep my child entertained is another one of those myths that I'm trying to debunk. You know, I like my mother. I love my mother, but I can't imagine her playing with me all the time when I was little. Um, Benign neglect was sort of our parents' parenting style. And it worked fine. I mean, you know, I think I turned out okay. I think we could
0: say yes on that. I I think also that parents do want to be more involved. I mean, that's why they're taking in all this information and they're excited and they want to learn and That's such a positive thing. And the thing about the benign neglect is that you can give children the benefits of that, that you got and I got when I was just playing all day, making up games, discovering our own ways to play. They can have that benefit, but still be involved if we can learn to tune in and just enjoy what our child is doing and be the audience, not the player, So we can still have that. I don't think it's a question of, well, I'm just ignoring my child or I'm, you know, playing with them. There's this whole other area that brings so much joy and discovery of our own child. So it's so educational for us. We're the, you know, passive partner in their play. Just responding, you know, when they're asking us to and letting them know that we're there and we're present sometimes. And, you know, when we can be.
1: You're right. There's definitely a balance involved. I'm just encouraging parents to know that it doesn't have to be as um, as challenging as maybe it's been to this point.
0: Yes. One more thing I just thought of when you were saying about the parent believing that we need to entertain and play with our children all the time, which I definitely did at first. I believed that with my infant that I you know, had to keep her busy. In fact, I was completely overstimulating her and then she would get really cranky and I wasn't understanding the sensitivity of her to stimulation, actually. But one of the big pieces of misinformation parents are getting is that their children being disappointed or, you know, having feelings or crying about something is actually dangerous that whenever a child is crying because if they maybe want the parent to do something that the parent can't do right then or doesn't want to do in terms of play or you know any boundary really the child is disappointed and cries about it then that child is in danger of you know what people call it, cry it out and this causes brain damage so their parents living in that fear this was brought to my attention recently by a psychologist who follows my work and said, you know, she finally realized that this was what was behind parents never wanting to say no to their child in regard to play or, or anything. So that's, that's heavy.
1: You know, if you hear these things often enough, of course you're going to believe them and that puts even more pressure on you, doesn't it? You know, you must say yes to your child all the time. I mean, I think that boredom is a gift for children because then they will use their creativities, their imagination, their wonderful mind to come up with something to do. Now, I'm not saying that you just say, you know, go away. Maybe you have to ease into the child learning how to play on his or her own. You know, you set up some art materials over here and maybe some blocks and Legos, construction materials over there, and you give the child a choice. Well, there's this over here, there's this over here, you know, pick one. Do you want to hear some other myths? (laughs) Yes, I absolutely do. One is that play isn't a productive use of time. And it's closely linked to earlier is better. Because if we believe that earlier is better, then what we value is accomplishment and productivity. And I'm not so sure those two words should be associated with early childhood. So play seems like something frivolous, not productive use of time but nature had a plan in mind and you know we really can't imagine that we have a better one nature intended for the young of almost every species including human species to learn through play it's the basis of the adult personality They learn self-discipline, conflict resolution, negotiation, cooperation, and collaboration, how to take the perspective of others. They learn all of these skills that will serve them so well throughout life through play, through free play. And free play, authentic play, is child-initiated and child-directed which is why we can't you know, put them in an organized soccer game and, and feel that they're getting the opportunity to play. It's not the same thing. Play is how they express their fears and their feelings. During the pandemic, a lot of children were playing doctor or hospital. Right after 9-11, a lot of children were building block towers and knocking them down. And that is how they take some control of their world. And they need, they need to have that no matter how loving, you know, we are toward them, how much love and attention we're showering on them, they still need to have some control, make some sense of their world. And they do that through play.
0: And this is true on their own, not just with others as well, right? Oh, yes,
1: absolutely. When I did workshops in the past on creativity, I would ask the participants to list some words related to creativity and then list some words related to play. And they always, they always intertwined. You know, there was such an overlap there. We give a lot of lip service to creativity in our society, but we don't do a lot to promote it. We don't really value it the way we should and and it might be because we associate creativity simply with the arts but we need creativity in business and industry technology science medicine creativity is about problem solving it's about seeing beyond what already exists you know seeing beyond the problem to the solution so
0: yeah i think we can get caught up seeing creativity as a product that our child is able to finish a drawing or something like that. Instead of it's a process, it's a way of thinking. It's a aspect that I think we all have in ourselves to some degree. It's not just certain people are creative and others aren't.
1: And in early childhood education, you know, we've been saying it for decades, if not longer. You know, with young children, it's all about the process, not the product. You know, it doesn't matter if the finger painting ends up all black It really doesn't matter. That's the product. What matters is the process and getting there. So, yeah, it's hard to describe how important these things are in early childhood.
0: One One of my mentors, actually, an associate that also studied with Magda, she, I remember, brought up an example once of a teacher going over to a child who was painting a young child and saying... What are you painting? And the child says,
1: paper. <laughs> I love that. That's <laughs> a I good answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a whole there's a whole podcast to be done on how we should respond, you know. Oh, so I see you're using a lot of purple in that drawing is is non-judgmental and gives the child some information and values the process, not the product. So yeah.
0: It's all about the process. And that's the learning process that we want them to stay in love with, you know, as they as they get older. And one of the things we notice with young children, with what I do, we notice in infants that they're fine with not being able to reach what they're reaching for, you know, unless we start to react to that. They don't mind challenges. They don't mind, quote, failing. I don't think they even understand that's a concept that applies to life. It's just, I'm doing this, I'm reaching my arm out, I'm trying to touch this, it's beyond my reach, you know, let me try something else or not, and I'll do something else altogether. So it's, it's just not this fraught thing that we can sometimes feel as parents, like, oh my gosh, I better get it for her because she needs it.
1: Exactly, because the reaching is the process, you know, and if you get there, that's great. But if we make a big deal about them not getting there, then we're putting our emphasis on the product again. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's one of the other myths that we have to protect them from quote unquote failure and mistakes. And my gosh, you know, you and I know we learn more from mistakes and from failure than from successes. And there's not a single life that avoids failure and mistakes. And it's not that they have to get used to it when they're, when they're little, but they have to learn how to, you know, begin to learn. How to deal with it in a positive way,
0: and that is normal, right? I mean, yes, and we're not trying to train them into that. It will happen if we can trust that it's okay. It will just naturally happen. Children will, you know, seek out those challenges that are just beyond their reach. Or
1: yes, taking those those risks, climbing the tree or hanging upside down from the monkey bars, and all those things that that we're frightened of these days because we've been made to be frightened of them. You know, uh, it's. Uh, yeah, we've gone a little bit overboard on, on that. Would would that be another myth that we need to yes.
0: protect them from doing anything that could possibly be a failure or dangerous or
1: exactly. I mean, it's funny, I had um a call this morning, a voicemail on my phone from a grandmother she follows my work and you know she and i have become friendly she had to pop in to say i'm here at the playground with the with the little ones and even with everything i know about how we should let them take risks you know and find the edge of what they're capable of doing she said i heard myself saying be careful <laughs> I thought, well, of course you did. I mean, we all have to retrain ourselves, right? I mean, I know the statistics, and this is true, that it is the safest time to be a kid in America. It's the truth, and the information is out there. And I I know all of that. And yet, we hear so many horror stories through the media that if I see a little one outside playing by herself, my first instinct is... (gasps) And then I have to think it through like someone who knows better, but it's hard.
0: It really, really is to calm ourselves. And I think that's a good place for us to segue right now. Okay. So we know that these myths are getting in our way, but how do we stop? How do we trust that it's okay for my child to be doing what they're doing right now and not doing this next thing that my friends are doing or that I saw somebody on the internet doing that their kids can do? And. How do we find that in ourselves? How do you help parents and professionals understand this?
1: The comparisons are brutal, aren't they? I mean, if you do happen to, you know, believe and know in your heart that your child doesn't need to be enrolled in 47 (laughs) programs, but another parent looks at you and says, seriously, With horror on her face, then you're going to start to doubt yourself. So, you know, you've used the word trust several times. And we do have to trust our instincts, trust our hearts, trust that the children know best. One of the ways that I'm trying to help parents, I obviously, if you're finding information, you need to be able to trust the people you're getting that information from, like you. And I hope like me. And I'm not sure how... We know that we're the right people to get the information, from. <laughs> but I I have started a, a a new program for parents because I want to reassure them, and I want to make parenting easier. I want to help to, you know help them. To make their children thrive, you know, live that life that, that we're talking about, the healthy, physical, social, emotional, all of that. It's a, it's a monthly membership program, and anybody who wants to know anything about me can go to raypika.com. Um,
0: well, tell me a little about what you're going to be doing in the program.
1: Well, I'm offering a video a month, and it's just 10 minutes max because parents are busy. So, you know, I keep them short and in each each video I tackle a myth. And I don't think that <laughs> I don't think it'll be ending anytime soon because there are so darn many of them floating around out there. And then there's also a transcript. And maybe most importantly, there is a private Facebook group with like-minded parents because you know I want to also share, well, what kind of things do you say to the mom who looks at you in horror or or doubts what you're doing. Uh, How do you respond to that? So I I want to support the parents. But it also helps early childhood education, you know, because so many parents believe that play isn't productive. They have asked when they're interviewing at preschools, they want they want to find the academics oriented ones. And the play oriented ones are, you know, sort of going the way of the dodo bird. And we can't have that happen. So anyway, I've taken on this huge task, and I would just love to have people join me on this this journey. Well, I'm sure they will. But what you were saying about preschools,
0: that's absolutely the case. The the one that my children went to didn't have a fancy name for the philosophy or anything. It was just the old-fashioned kind that I'm sure you... Endorse that I know Magda Gerber used to endorse, which it didn't have academy
1: in the name. No,
0: just learn through play. What we used to call developmental preschool, right? But then they started having to make an agenda for parents that said science and math, and then what science would actually be was that their children were playing with you know water tables and. Sand or something like that. But they would translate that to make the parents feel more confident that they're not going to fall behind, that they're going to be learning all the things they're supposed to be learning. So that was, you know, unfortunate that they had to do it that way. And then, of course, the school did go away, like you said, like the dodo bird. So I'm totally with you on that. I would love to see the a reemergence of just places that really understand development and where children can
1: really thrive and enjoy learning exactly i mean you know other myths are that sitting equals learning absolutely false but the belief in it has children sitting for hours either in front of a screen or doing worksheets and you know when we look at play and it is hard to have to justify play in terms of academics or whatever i mean the the truth is that they are gaining academic knowledge through play if we could just trust that that's happening and the research shows that the more senses we use in the learning process, the more information we attain and, and retain, you know. Doing worksheets isn't authentic learning and it, it's not indicative of what's being learned. It's not indicative of of intelligence, and it doesn't provide evidence of, of any kind of what children are capable of. And of course, you know, it uses one sense, the sight. And that's the exciting thing about
0: children that makes it so fun to watch is that you know, when they're given free reign to play and do what they want to do, they use their whole body. They put everything into something, you know, whether it's an emotion that they're having or, you know, the way they're playing or the way they're learning. And that's what they're supposed to do, right? And that's how it integrates into our whole system, what we're learning, and it becomes part of us instead of just this lesson that someone gave
1: Exactly. Exactly. You just touched on another myth that the brain and the body have nothing to do with one another. And that, you know, that goes way back. That goes back to Descartes saying, I think therefore I am. And again, it's not the truth. There's more and more research about how the two are, you know, they're interdependent. And when we make children sit, we're not providing opportunity for optimal brain development. You know they do learn with with their whole selves and all of their senses. So, you know, if we want children to be successful and to thrive, and you know, I'm, I'm talking about successful in terms of being happy and healthy in all the ways that that you mentioned, then we need to let child development guide the process, and we need to let child development guide our decisions. So, I'm on a mission to make sure that happens.
0: Well, I'm with you all the way. And thank you so much for sharing with us and especially sharing your program as well so that we can turn parents on to that. Our job is doing less and enjoying them more. I like yeah. I <laughs> That's right out of that. Magda Gerber, do less,
1: enjoy more. Writing this down, Magda said, do less, enjoy, enjoy more. more. She
0: actually said also, do less, observe more, enjoy most about children.
1: What a brilliant woman.
0: Yeah, she really was. But anyway, I love all of it and really glad that you're out there supporting children. And uh, love you. So thank you again. Oh, thank you, Janet. Please check out some of the other podcasts on my website, janetlandsbury.com. There are many of them and they're all indexed by subject and category. So you should be able to find whatever topic you might be interested in. And both of my books are available in paperback at Amazon, No Bad Kids, Toddler Discipline Without Shame, and Elevating Child Care, A Guide to Respectful Parenting. You can get them in ebook at Amazon, Apple, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com, and in audio at audible.com. Actually, you can get a free audio copy of either book at Audible by following the link in the liner notes of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening and all your kind support. We can do this.